me invite you to open up the Bible with me, God's Word with me, to the Old Testament book of, of Nehemiah. We're in Nehemiah chapter 11 and chapter 12 today uh, for a message titled, A Mission Larger Than My Life. A Mission Larger Than My Life. If you're a guest of ours or you haven't been with us for a, a little while, uh, we've been journeying through this book of the Bible, this portion, this story, uh, nestled in the broader story of, of God's Word. We've been tracking through the book of Nehemiah, and today we come to chapters 11 and, and 12, uh, and uh, next week we'll conclude, the Lord willing, we'll conclude this this story, the story of of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13. And so if you've uh, if you if you if you've loved this journey, if you've loved this particular story, this portion of God's word, we've got another week in it. Uh, if you're ready to be done with it, we, we've only got another week in it. But let's continue turning to it. Let's hear from the Lord today. And in our text is uh, our our challenge, uh, our assignment is to cover two chapters of this story. I'll read selected portions of it. Nehemiah chapter 11. Uh, let me invite, as is our practice here, all who are able. Would you join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of the word, God's word? Nehemiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the leaders of the people settled uh, in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. These are the provincial leaders who settled in Jerusalem. Now, some Israelites, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants lived in the towns of Judah, each on their own property in the various towns, while other people from both Judah and Benjamin lived in Jerusalem, from the descendants of Judah. Matthias, son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of Shephatiah, the son of Mahalalel, a descendant of Perez, and Messiah, son of Baruch, the son of Col, Jose, the son of Haziah, the son of Adiah, the son of Jorid, the son of Zechariah, a descendant of Shelah. The descendants of Perez, who lived in Jerusalem, totaled 468 men of standing. Now, some of you probably are wondering, is he really going to read all those names, right? And the answer is no. They keep going. Let's skip over to chapter 12 and pick up in verse 27. The story continues. It says, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to joy, to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Natophathites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth, for the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. Verse 31, I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right toward the dung gate. Skip down, verse 36, end of verse 36. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. Verse 38, the second choir 
proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half the people past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall over the gate of Ephraim, the Jeshana gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred as far as the sheep gate at the gate of the guard. They stopped the two choirs that gave thanks, then took their places in the house of God. So did I together with half the officials. Verse forty. Three And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits and tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites, for Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the musicians and gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. Would you pause with me as we pray? Father, we turn to you this morning. We we ask you, Lord, to speak to us or to speak to us through the reading, through the proclamation of your word by the presence and power and guidance and will of your spirit. The good of your church, the growth of your kingdom and the glory of your name. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In May of the year 2000, Bon Jovi released their greatest hit song of the 21st century. This ain't a song for the brokenhearted. No silent prayer for faith departed. And I ain't going to be just a face in the crowd. You're going to hear my voice when I shout it out loud. It's my life. It's now or never. I I ain't going to live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. A song that rang out across America and around the world. It's a message of courage. A message of of self-assertion. Of standing tall and living life to the fullest. Even uh, in the face of opposition. It's a moving refrain. Shouted with boldness and the underlying message of courage to make your relatively short life count is to be commended. But the question remains, count for what? Count for what? Count for who? Is is the overarching purpose of my life to live for me? Making self-authenticity and faithfulness to self... My greatest ambition, or is there something more? Church as believers, we're convinced there's something more. 
Uh, there is something more. There's, there's something much more, a mission larger than my life given by God himself, yet a mission for which you and I are invited to live. And that mission is to make much of him. Pastor and author Kevin DeYoung writes, he says, I need a lot of things in my life. We can identify there are schedules and details and a long to-do list. I need food and water and shelter. I, I need sleep. I need more exercise and I need to eat better. We know this. I experience this. I sense this. But listen to what he says next. He says, but this is my greatest need and yours. My greatest need and yours. To know God, love God, delight in God and make much of God. Here's what I think Kevin's saying. Here's what I think Nehemiah's saying. Here's what I think the Bible's saying. To those who've experienced the grace... The grace of the Almighty God live for the sake of His name. Live for the sake of His name. Spend your life making much of Him. God calls the saved to serve for the sake of His name. God calls the saved. That's the central point I think that we're going to see from these two chapters this morning. If we were to boil it down into a statement, God calls the saved, the rescued, to serve for the sake of His name, like all of the saved. Not just some who receive a a special calling, so to speak, to be a, a minister or a missionary. No, all of the saved. Serving for the sake of God's name. Zealous for the glory of the God who saves. Isn't that what we've been seeing from the story of Nehemiah? The return of exiled Israelites... To what appears to be a rather pitiful place. A city whose glory days are long since gone. Have long passed away. Trace centuries back to the reign of King Solomon. But never really all that impressive of a place or a people. Except church that the Lord God Almighty was with them. Residing among them. Inviting them to know and to experience And to worship him. But since then, surrounding nations have overtaken them. That's the story, that's the trajectory that we see throughout the Old Testament that brings us to the story of, of Nehemiah. Since then, the surrounding nations have overtaken them. They've invaded and attacked them and marauded them, destroying the city, leaving many dead and taking others captive. And yet this is the place, this is the place to which Ezra and Nehemiah... And thousands of other former exiles have returned in order to resettle in the land, rebuild the temple and the city walls, and to reinstate the worship of Yahweh. An an, an unlikely people and an unimpressive place, but such is the path, church, that God chooses to establish his kingdom. You remember Jesus' teaching. Jesus said told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of of God is like. The kingdom of heaven is like this. God's preferred pattern is to use the lowly To show his glory. You see, right here in this text, in these two chapters, in Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12, we have 62 
consecutive verses running from chapter 11, verse 1 through chapter 12, verse 26, telling us that God uses ordinary people to fulfill his extraordinary plans. God uses ordinary people to fulfill, to accomplish his extraordinary plans. Like what a list of names. And we only scratched the surface of them. Leaders, descendants of Judah, descendants of Benjamin, the priests, the Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, officers, heads of families, and others. And if we were to read through this whole list, occasionally we'd come across a name that we recognize, like David and Solomon, and Ezra, Nehemiah. But the overwhelming majority are folks of whom even the best Bible scholars have never even heard. Right? Ordinary folks, ordinary folks fulfilling God's extraordinary plans. Mentioned right here as part of God's rescued people. Spending their days, spending their days serving their Savior. And what were they doing there? What were they doing in Jerusalem? Well, we're told that some of them were going to be living there. One out of ten... Right away, we read that at the beginning of chapter 11. One out of ten voluntold that they're to move to Jerusalem, to move to the city, a city that's underpopulated, that needs some more inhabitants, that needs some more residents. They're voluntold to to move to the city. Scholars estimate that would have been approximately 10,000 people expected to return to the city. And some volunteered, verse 2, to settle in Jerusalem. And they were commended for their willingness. Why would they be commended? For such meant less land to cultivate. Like if you're moving to the city, who's going to farm your land? Separation from family, greater susceptibility to attack. Because when an army comes through, as they often did, ready to attack these people, where are their sights set? Their sights are set on the city, on Jerusalem. They're coming to the city. Though unimpressive and dangerous, Jerusalem was about God's kingdom. And so these folks were putting God's program over their individual desires. What about you, friend? Are you putting God's agenda above your own? Are you putting the Lord's agenda above your own? Has God's agenda become your agenda because you too have experienced His mercy and been wooed by His love and long to live for His glory. God calls the saved to self-sacrifice and service for the sake of His name. So brothers and sisters, spend your days in service to Christ and His kingdom. Spend your days in service to Christ and His kingdom. So we learn here that some packed up and moved to God's city for the sake of His kingdom. They loved the Lord simply... By being present. Friend, your presence matters. Your presence matters. You were certainly made. You were made and saved to do more than just be present. But I don't want to downplay the importance of personal presence among the gathered community of the redeemed. Most of those listed right here in these two chapters are listed for being present by planting their lives in Jerusalem. And some were living there. 
We're told that others were working there. They were working there. Verse 3 tells us that temple servants, many of them working outside the city, came to the city to work at God's temple. Some lived there, some worked there, others served there. They were serving there. We'll note just a couple of them. Verse 16 of chapter 11. Shabbatai and Jazabad, two of the heads of the Levites who had charge of the outside work of the house of God. In other words, these folks probably served as groundskeepers, ensuring that the temple building and the surrounding property was properly cared for. And again, in chapter 12, verse 26, we read about those who served in the days of Joachim, son of Joshua. And then again, in chapter 12, verse 45, about the ministering priests who performed the service of their God. And in our context, of course, when we think of those who sacrifice to serve the Lord. We, we think of folks like the Bartons and the Browns, Bolins, those who have or are moving to more difficult places for the glory of, of God. And rightly so, we think of these folks. But we also ought to think of those who are serving right now downstairs in the nursery. We ought to think of those on Sunday morning who serve by making coffee. Would I think of those who on first Sundays fill communion cups and and those who clean the kitchen after Wednesday night suppers? You know, we, we tend to assume the most public and visible acts of Christian service are the most significant. But Paul seems to say otherwise. Saying the Parts of the body we think are less honorable are to be treated with special honor and are indispensable to the health of the church. For me, I think of a couple folks. I think of Bill Breeden and Gladys Cooper. Two names that mean absolutely nothing to you. Little known out of their immediate community. And the Nettleton Baptist Church family some years ago. But servants of Jesus Christ who humbly serve the body of Christ in behind the scenes ways. Week after week, month after month, year after year for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if you grew up in church. Do you you remember the name of your first Sunday school teacher? The privilege to grow up in churches. Perhaps you do. Maybe. Do, do you remember what she looked like? I don't, I don't remember her name or what she looked like. Just to be honest with you. But I'm pretty sure I remember, generally speaking, what she taught me. That Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And I remember learning that it's not about the naughty and nice list. But it's about the Lamb's Book of Life list. And learning this is how you get on that particular list. You see, Nehemiah could be touting his accomplishments here. Once again, here's the prime place for him to be saying, hey, here's what we did and here's how we did it. Here's how I did it. Touting his accomplishments as a great leader and organizer and accomplisher, and certainly he was. But instead, he's leaving a list. He's leaving a list, church, of virtually unknown believers who've gone before us spending their lives for the glory of their Savior. And notice that none of them are described on the basis of their personality. None of them are described on the basis of their looks or their accomplishments. No, none of that. We we don't hear about, you know, Bob, he has an impressive stature of a man or 
Susan and all that she did and how she did it. No, we don't hear read any of that, but simply on account of their presence and their participation, they weren't famous, but they were faithful. Unknown to us, but known by God. The Bible says God will not forget your work. Hebrews chapter 6, God will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. See, friends, God sees. He sees you. God sees, God knows, God cares. And so we commit our lives to serving him. You see, in Jerusalem, some were living there, others were working or serving there, and still others were singing there. Rejoicing together over what God had done. Did you know God calls his people to rejoice together over what he has done? The God that we serve. God that we've gathered in the name of this morning calls his people to rejoice together over what he has done. You see, after the list, that's where the focus now turns. A dedication celebration. Dedicating the walls that have now been rebuilt, completed. A dedication celebration with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Chapter 12, verse 27. A special ceremony and celebration. We've got a picture of a plaque on the screen. One that most of you, I would presume, have never noticed. I come in this building almost every day, and most of the time I don't notice this at the entrance of the original building. You can read it. It says, Meadowbrook Baptist Church, dedicated to the glory of God. A dedication moment of a completed building, December 6, 1987. Pastor's name, Dr. Robert Ferguson, Jr., listed. Davis Weaver, the building committee chairman. Vernon Knight, chairman of deacons. And then some others that contributed to the design and the building itself. A, a handful of names there that if you've been around here for a little while, you, you recognize. But I dare say, in a generation or two, names that really won't mean anything particular to any who are left here. But names of folks that spent their time and their days serving the Lord for the glory of His name through various avenues and opportunities to serve in the local church. Dedicated to the glory of God. That's what's going on here in Nehemiah chapter 12. The people are dedicating what has been built to the glory of God. Nehemiah tells us that there were two large choirs, verse 31, encircling the city on top of the newly rebuilt walls. On top of the walls. And if you... Remember way back to chapter 4, these these are the walls that this Tobiah character, who was one of the outspoken critics of the Israelites and their plans to rebuild these walls, ridiculed them by saying, what what you're building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down that wall. That wall's not going to hold up. What are you guys doing? You're wasting your time. And yet, by God's grace here, here they are, encircling the city on top of the walls in opposite directions, singing antiphonally, meeting together at the house of God that they might worship and celebrate their God. Oh, Meadowbrook, did you know that we too have gathered once again this morning to worship and to celebrate God? To, de- 
declare praises to God, to recount who he is and what he has done, to know him, to love him, to delight in him, and to make much of him. And so saved ones, invited to know God and be in relationship with God, let's be people who join the choir. Let's join the choir. Let's join the choir. Join the choir of redeemed saints singing praises to the God who saves. You see, there were two large choirs singing praises to the Lord that day, but they weren't the only ones singing. Two choirs leading the procession, leading in the singing. But like the psalmist, no doubt, they called upon the gathered community of God's people to sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. You see, music filled the air and joy filled their souls. And, oh, church, may we be so filled with the joy of Jesus, verse 43, that the sound of rejoicing ringing out from this place on Sunday mornings could be heard far away. Right? Not just in the nursery hall downstairs. I dare say, perhaps even over here on on Ridge Trail at the end of this cul-de-sac, and maybe even up here at the end of the cul-de-sac known as Brook Hill Circle, I mean, can you imagine if those out leisurely walking down the street on Sunday mornings could hear the praises of God's people ringing out from this place? What a witness to the world that would be. I mean, can you imagine it? You imagine, honey, what's that noise? Do you hear that? No. Oh, yeah, I hear it. I don't, it's coming from the church up on the hill. It's those Christians again. You know, they're a strange bunch of people. A strange bunch, but I gotta give it to them. They're a joyful bunch. Friends, God calls His people to rejoice together over what He has done, and part of our rejoicing is intentionally remembering what He's done. And we remember by learning God's story. We remember by learning God's story, the one written down for us in His book. Next, we see here that God invites his people to search his word and follow his ways. He invites his people to search his word and follow his ways. Nehemiah chapter 12 concludes with men appointed to continue ministry at the temple of God. It's a focus on the ongoing practice of worship and the necessary giving from the people to support the Lord's servants charged with facilitating proper worship. Chapter 12, verse 45. They, the priests and Levites, performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the musicians and gatekeepers, get this, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. In other words... All of Israel began giving again for the sake of God's kingdom. Why? Because they had returned to the word. They returned to the word. How did they know where they'd been unfaithful? How did they know what they'd missed out on? How did they know that they had not been walking by faith in the Lord God who saves? How did they know what was expected of them from the word? They, they knew it and they learned it from, from God's word. A return to the Bible 
not a retreat from it. And likewise, church, may we be a people who want the word. May we be a people who want the Bible. May we search the scriptures that we might know and follow the Lord who saves. May we listen to the Bible wanting correction. May our posture be such that we listen to the word of God, that we want the word of God because we want to be corrected that we might know and live for the glory of God, not expecting accolades or affirmation, but an amazement with God that leaves us wanting to turn from sin and follow in his ways and doing so for the glory of the God who saved us, for the glory of the God of the gospel. Paul says, whatever happens, believers, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the call of God upon the people of God who know the saving grace of God. God calls the saved to serve for the sake of his name. And wouldn't you know it, isn't this just what our Savior has done? Isn't this just what Christ has done? Isn't the call to self-sacrifice and service fitting for those who know Jesus to be the greatest And most sacrificial servant, this Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In in very nature God, the fullness of God, God himself, the eternal son of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own gain. No, rather he made himself nothing. He emptied himself. By taking the very nature of a servant, God Almighty, becoming a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. For sinners such as you and I, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me ask you this morning as we close, have you bowed your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you bowed your knee to Christ? Have you said in your heart, Jesus is Lord? He is Lord. He is my Lord. He is Lord of my life. You see, you'll only serve him if you know him. You will only serve him if you know him. But I dare say if you know him, if you really know him, you'll want to serve him. Would you pray with me? Father, we count it a great joy, a great privilege to know you. Oh God, to know you as you have made yourself known to us. Through your written word, Lord, through your book, through your story, and through your word made flesh. And God, we desire to know you more. Or to to know you and to love you, to delight in you, and to make much of you. So Lord, lead us, stir our hearts by the presence and guidance and power of your Holy Spirit that we might know and love you. We might lay our lives before you, that we might serve the God who saves. Lord, hear our our praises now, hear our confession now, hear your church now. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.